Welcome everybody to Dead Talk Live and tonight we have a special guest Ian White with us. Ian, uh, man, he has done so much stuff. Ian, thank you for being here with us. How are you doing today? I am very well. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it is our pleasure to have you and there's a lot to talk about. So let's get started. Uh, is it true that you originally started out as a basketball player, uh, retired and then got into acting? <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, unfortunately, yes, that's very true. I uh, played basketball for England for nine years. And uh, one day I, I, I got a phone call from the secretary of the basketball club I was working for. And she said, um, well, you've got a casting director on the phone. Uh, do you want me to pass on your phone number? And my first reaction was, come on, nobody wants to put me in a film. And I thought it was a joke. I said, yeah, sure. Give my phone number and the next couple of minutes, uh, the phone rang and it was a casting director and she was casting for Alien versus Predator. So you literally got picked from the basketball court to appear in this really highly anticipated film, uh, Aliens versus Predator. That is just phenomenal. Uh, did you know of the franchise Aliens, Predator, and there was big speculation in the years prior that they were going to combine the two. Did you know what you were walking into? Well, I kind of knew what I was walking into. I, I, I was aware of the franchises in their separate forms, the Alien franchise and the Predator franchise, but I was blissfully unaware that they had combined in a comic book form. And I knew nothing about the upcoming movie. Uh, I said to, to the casting director, I says, is there anything that I can do to prepare for the audition? She says, yeah, just watch the movie. <laughs> so I just went through it frame by frame. Now, uh, prior to that, you said you were a basketball player. Did you have any kind of uh, acting training, theatrical or any of that? <laughs> well, it depends how far you want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a school production of Bugsy Malone once when uh, I was seven years old. <laughs> I played Santa Claus in the fifth grade play. I don't, I don't think we can go that far back. But that that's truly amazing. So uh, did they make you read for the role or did they just hand it to you, this role of Scar that you played? Oh, no, no, no. It was very involved. I, um, the, uh, the first day, it was like one of the hottest days of the year, a very small studio uh, in London, not too far from uh, King's Cross Station. And they gave me a wetsuit and a mock-up of the Predator head with big, thick black ropes as dreadlocks and uh, a balaclava to go underneath that. And then the helmet went on over the top. And uh, I said, is this it? And they said, no, you can start running now. <laughs> so I ran around in circles for about 40 minutes doing little sort of action pieces uh, to the camera because she was filming the whole thing. And then after, at the end, she said, okay, you can stop. She said, how was that? I said, well, I'd be lying if I said it was easy. It's not easy, but I can do it. And the next day I met the uh, director, uh, Paul Anderson, mm -hmm. uh, uh, just long enough for him to uh, put his uh, gin and tonic down and, and look up at me and say, yeah, okay. And about two or three weeks after that, I flew to Prague to meet the, uh, the award-winning uh, creature effects designers, Tom Woodruff and Alec Gillis. 
And it was only about two or three weeks after that meeting that I got the phone call from the producer offering me the part. So it was a very, very drawn-out process. That's an amazing story, though. So you got the role, you go on set, not really much prior acting experience. Uh, Being green to the acting world, how did you, what kind of techniques did you use back then to get into the mindset of Scar? Uh, uh, well, at the time, it was a case of uh, just just do it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> if I had, you know, over, over the years, I've done an awful lot of um, training and, and studying about how to get into, you know, in, into the role of a character. But at the time, I, I was blissfully ignorant of anything. I, I just walked in every morning on set and and just went for it. When you got the script, and uh, are you a fan of the science fiction, horror, slash action realm? And uh, were you really excited to be a part of this? Well, yeah, it was a very exciting script. You know, I, I didn't know anything about it at the time. I'm a fan of a good story. Mm-hmm. You know? And when I read the script, I was like, wow, this is a really good story. And, uh, you know, I, the movie was great. Uh, I loved it. Uh, I love the story that came up, of course, you know, uh, in Antarctica, where the predators come and they've placed these aliens and their pure motive is to just do battle and hone their predatory skills. And here these group of humans come uh, to see what's going on and they end up getting slaughtered. going it i mean that movie was very involved with special effects did that lead uh further down in your career because you have become sort of like this magician of playing mystical characters and we're going to get to that in a little bit but was aliens versus predator something that really piqued your interest into playing monsters and giants and other sort of creatures can i just can i just write down magician of mystical characters exactly that's what i would call going to put that on my cv (laughs) 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 yeah i mean i I was they're, they're amazing you know these characters if if you don't if all you see when you're looking at the screen is a guy in a rubber suit then i've done my job yeah, yeah. From the ground up, <laughs> you know, it is it is my job to make you believe that aliens exist, mm-hmm. to make you believe that imaginary giants exist or demons exist or you know anything like this, you know. And it's you know, there's no other there's no other industry in the world where you can go into work, you know, first thing in the morning and say, "Hey, guys." Today, we're going to be aliens. <laughs> that is absolutely true. If you did that in your office, you'd be fired. <laughs> <laughs> and then they brought you back uh, for Aliens versus Predator Requiem, where you play Wolf. Uh, that is really not very common uh, for them to do it in, in, in the modern era. Back in the 90s and before, it was done pretty often. But in today's world, not done as much. Um, what was the difference that you wanted to put into the character of Wolf as opposed to Scar? 
Uh, well, but, but, but about three years elapsed between uh, AVP and AVP Requiem. And during that time, I was doing a lot of training, a lot of martial arts training. And I was studying with uh, a teacher, uh, an obscure Chinese martial art called Bagua. And he does a lot of uh, uh, rotational movements and, you know, walking in circles. And it's a very, very elegant martial art. And I decided that I would use this, you know, the basic principles of this to sort of bring something unique to the character. So there are scenes in when he's in the tunnels where he looks mm -hmm. like he's stalking sideways. And it's a, uh, it's a, it's, it's taken directly from um, my martial arts training. That's beautiful. Uh, would you say uh, those roles helped you? Now let's fast forward to Game of Thrones, okay? You've played four different characters on this mega hit show on HBO. I mean, calling it a mega hit show is still an understatement. Uh, is that something that the producers approached you to do? Did you volunteer to play the White Walker, to play the giant, uh, Wan Wan, and all these different characters? Uh, how did that go? Did you come go to them or did they come to you? Uh, no, I didn't volunteer at all. Um, let me tell you a story. Uh, I auditioned for the role of the mountain in series one. Uh, didn't get the part. Uh, saw who did get the part. was like, wow, you know, he's absolutely perfect. And uh, got on with my life. And about three months later, the phone rang and it was the producers from Game of Thrones. And I said, listen, we've got a part for you. Don't have to audition. It's uh, the White Walker. And I've got one scene in the first uh, in the first episode. Mm -hmm. The part's yours. I said, "Okay, fantastic, marvelous." And so we did that scene. And the following season, they said, "Listen, we need to recast the uh, the role of the mountain. Will you come in on an audition for it?" And I said, wow, what, what what a fantastic opportunity, you know? So I went and I, and I auditioned for the part of the mountain and in the original scripts for series two there were some incredible scenes some flashback scenes uh fans of uh, thrones will know what i'm talking about oh yeah uh and i thought wow this is really going to test me as a uh, as an actor and a human being and i got the part and those scenes were removed from the scripts eventually but um you know the, we still had this magnificent scene with uh, with Charles Dance with yeah. um, uh, 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 Lannister, where he basically is the, the headmaster. I've always referred to this as the headmaster scene because it has that energy, it mm -hmm. has that vibe about it. He's the naughty schoolboy being berated by the uh, by the headmaster. Yeah. And if there's one person that can uh, that can bring an end to his life immediately, it's Lannister. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Gregor Clegane, uh, the, the Hound's brother, okay, the, I mean, the Hound is no saint himself, uh, the Mountain is just flat out evil, uh, how do you feel about playing antagonist roles, not as a monster, or makeup or any of that, playing a person, but a pure evil human being, uh, do you find that fun to play? Yes, it's fantastic fun first of all everyone loves the bad guy yeah everyone remembers the bad guy but it, when you approach these characters you, you must be very very careful not to judge them 
because the moment you judge them for being and you know non-human characters as well you know predators aliens whatever the moment you judge them but the moment you call them a monster you judge them as being a monster mm -hmm. you know and every character has their own motivations no matter how bad or evil or psychotic they are there's always a reason behind it yeah and, and the, the joy the joy of the character is getting into it into their mind and finding out what that uh, what that is what that what that thing that drives them is as i was watching game of thrones and uh, i got to admit i did not watch it while it was airing live me and my wife binge watched all eight seasons after the show had, had yeah I, we, I we binge watched it <laughs> and uh, i got to say out of all the deaths that we've seen on Game of Thrones, all of them were like deserved. They they deserve to die for one reason or another. But the giant who you portrayed, uh, and your death scene when you guys were taking back Winterfell, uh, that made me upset. I liked that giant. He was a gentle giant, and he fought to the bitter end to uh, help his people take back Winterfell and this alliance and it touched me and I think it touched a lot of other fans what was your attachment to that character the 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 giant north of the wall coming down and forming this alliance and ultimately dying at Winterfell by a hail of arrows but what I loved about this character is that uh, it was the first time in the whole series of Game of Thrones, the whole saga, that we see uh, a character, one of these aloof semi-savages, display anything approaching humanity. Mm -hmm. You know, he had he had a purpose. You know, he had a he, he had a role to play. He had a story arc, all of of his own. And uh, it was great to see it through to the end, from the beginning, because. These two giant battles, uh, the Battle of um, Hardhome and the Battle of uh, uh, Winterfell, yeah. bookend his entire story. Mm -hmm. And it was, such, it was such a joy to play a character that is so uh, clearly defined. And it is, and you feel a lot of sympathy for him because his people have sort of become extinct. He's one of the last living giants. And uh, it was very heartbreaking uh, when he died. How extensive uh, was the CGI and how did they make you from you with them assuming you had to wear all this rig on you for them to CGI the giant? How complex was that? Uh, very complex uh, process, actually. There are several elements. Um, first of all, the makeup. Uh, when we're talking about... Uh, the stuff that's on me. We have the prosthetic makeup process, which is about three and a half hours. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the costume, the costume is all real, and it has substance, and uh, it smells as well. You know, it smells of Game of Thrones. It smells of leather and fur and other Game of Thronesy things. <laughs> and <clears throat> anything that I have to interact with. So, for example, uh, a castle door, that is reduced, those props are reduced uh, by two thirds. Yeah. So, again, they help to sell the size of the, uh, of the giant. 
I don't come in until the scene is edited down. So everything that uh, involves a human, human action is done first. Mm -hmm. uh, the battle sequence, as an example. That's all done first, and then I come in. When it's edited down and, and the scene is approved, then I come in and I uh, overlay my elements against uh, the green screen using the uh, props, etc., whatever that, that I have to use. In the Battle of Hardhome, there was a giant log, giant log that was lit on one end, and I had to swat zombies with. And I was on, I was on this massive treadmill. <laughs> And they kept, kept turning it up, faster, faster, faster. I'm jogging along on this treadmill with this giant log. Yeah, uh, so everything everything is done first, and then I come in, and my elements are the last elements to be shot. Wow. Uh, you have worked on so many science fiction movies, television shows. As far as uh, sheer awe in sets budgeting makeup that you have seen which uh project for you was like the most impressive ah goodness me putting a gun to i know head. you've done so many it's like which one uh what, the aliens yeah. well they all mean different things for different reasons you know uh avp was my first film so that's obviously very, very special to me uh game of thrones was just the most you know it was the number one tv show on in the entire world in for world, yeah. almost 10 years uh, so it, it, that's very special in that respect uh prometheus working for ridley scott on a night basically what was an idea in his head for 30 years exactly and then, to finally bring that to life that yeah. was very very special and that's actually my next question in regards to ridley scott uh, the man, I mean, a legend with Alien, uh, Prometheus. What was it like working with Ridley? Uh, you know, he, he's a genius. He's, a, he's an artist and he's a gentleman. Uh, you know, working with him behind the camera, do you feel he, uh, you have worked with various different directors. Everybody has their own technique and skill. Uh, was there something about Ridley that stood out on how he conducts and, you know, brings his vision to life? Well, it's kind of the same with every project. You know, the hard work is done before the cameras roll. You know, you mm -hmm. know when you're prepared. And I remember reading... Uh, uh, a magazine article, and it was uh, Omid Jalali who was in uh, who was in Gladiator, yeah. and he was recounting a story when he first uh, stepped on on set of Gladiator, and uh, he was talking to somebody, and he said, "Look, I'm I'm on a Ridley Scott film, you know, I, how do I how do I work? How do I, I how do I take direction from someone like that?" And the person he was talking to says, "You don't need to take direction. You're on a Ridley Scott film." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, it, it's such a relaxed atmosphere, you know. As soon as you walk on set, there was a uh, um, one scene that we did with uh, uh, with Guy Pearce um, and and uh, Michael Fassbender. We were, we were there. There was a um, a break uh, in the in the camera setup. We shot one take, and uh, then there was a break in the camera setup for some uh, technical issue. Mm -hmm. And I just. You know, striking a conversation with Guy Pearce, and we just stood there talking. And what for? What 
ended up being about 40, 50 minutes. And he's you just, know, you know, what's, uh, you know, you know, he's a legend, but once you start talking to them, you, you know, they're just regular people. And uh, it's amazing the, the, when you talk to people like Ridley Scott, just, uh, and you get to hear their thoughts, just, uh, you, you get a sense of where the brilliance and the creativity really comes from. And I think that's what makes them so special. Uh, I'm going to ask you a, fan, a question that a lot of fans have uh, in regards to acting in roles in whether it's movies or television, where you have to speak a fictional language. Okay. Uh, that must be very, very difficult. A lot of fans had this question for you. Uh, how you, how do you go about not only, a language that exists that you don't speak, but a fictional language. How do you prepare for that? Uh, well, it, the times that I've done this, Game of Thrones and uh, Prometheus, uh, the, it, it was it was just written down. It's in the script. Yeah, and you learn it like you would normally learn your learn lines. Line. Yeah, the um, the language in in Prometheus. Uh, was developed by uh, a very learned uh, linguist from a university in London. He's actually in the film. Uh, there's, a, there's a scene uh, close to the beginning of the film where uh, Fassbender's character <clears throat> is, um, is speaking to a hologram and who's teaching him the, the alien language. Yeah. That is, that is the, uh, the professor who, uh, who developed the language. Oh. That's the guy. And uh, so I had a meeting with him about an hour long meeting and we went through the finer nuances of the of the language and he pointed it because when it was written down, you know, I could read it, but it didn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. There were, you know, inflections and deep guttural noises in in the throat and clicks and other sounds that formed part of the language of the communication. Yeah, that that you just couldn't you couldn't say oh you couldn't read off a page and say oh i know what that means yeah you have to have you had to have it explained to you yeah yeah and so they had the, the producers gave me this this practice piece this practice piece of dialogue and i spotted it immediately it was um it was roy batty's uh, soliloquy from blade runner Oh, because there were a few things that weren't translated because they were names like Tannhauser Gates, mm -hmm. or I forget what the other one was. Anyway, uh, you know the names weren't translated into the alien language, and I recognised it immediately. And I went back to the producers and I said, "Listen, you've got to give me the words that I'm going to say in the film." Because I know what this is. This is Blade Runner. And every time I see it, read it, I read it in the voice of Rutger Hauer. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> uh, let's go more recently to one of your films. Now, The Reckoning, okay? Uh, the Reckoning is a film that one day I was just sitting on my couch trying to find something to watch. And you know, these days we're just drowned in content. And trying to find something to watch is a pretty complicated ordeal. So I came across The Reckoning. The synopsis sounded really good. I ended up watching it. I loved the movie. You play Lucifer in, in The Reckoning. 
which is uh, a break. It's, uh, it's really different from some of the other characters that you've played. So how do you get in the mindset of playing Lucifer himself? Ah, well, you see, those scenes were a figment of uh, Charlotte's character's um, imagination. Yeah. You know, she's undergoing this this arduous, uh, prolonged uh, torture process, which involves, uh, amongst other things, um, sleep deprivation. Yeah. And every time she drifts, drifts off, she, she dreams that she is visited by the devil. Mm -hmm. So everything in those scenes is a figment of her imagination. I just literally had to had to play along with her. Um, Neil Marshall, uh, he, he showed me uh, this piece of art, which uh, inspired the whole scene. And it was this demon, this giant winged demon with his huge wings embracing uh, embracing a naked woman and uh he said this is the inspiration uh, for the scene and kind of that was it <laughs> but we were in this we were in this um uh set the, uh, the dungeon set and we had to shoot various elements uh you know over the, over the course of the day the whole thing was shot in a, in a single day wow all the uh, all the demon elements. Yeah. And so uh, you were on set for just one day. Yeah. Just doing uh, uh, the demon elements, just one day. Wow! Wow! That's uh, that's pretty cool. They got everything. Yeah, it done. was a long day. <laughs> <laughs> when you get a character to play, uh, how important is it to you for you to fill in a backstory for that character to bring the best that you have? to the to the screen um let's say the producers the writers don't really give that much of a backstory and you need more you feel you need more to accurately portray that character uh so is it really important for you as an actor to give your characters a backstory so you can bring it all yeah it's absolutely essential uh in my opinion you know it could be as little as just one line uh I did a, um, a short scene in Robert Eggers' new film, which is out later on this year. And my character's not in, it's not a long scene at all. It was just a couple of pages of, um, of the script, but mm -hmm. I ended up writing like a four page backstory for this character. It gave him an entire life. In terms of the devil uh, in, uh, in the reckoning, not so much, but yeah. still, still tried to think it out exactly his backstory is pretty well known <laughs> you know but it, it had to pertain to her imagination but what she wanted from mm -hmm. this interaction yeah uh but uh yeah it, it it depends on the character but you've you've got to you've got to do some thinking you know this is a you know it's a um a process of of thinking Absolutely. Absolutely. Do the thinking is, is kind of a dereliction of duty. You uh you seem to love to put on the makeup and play the science fiction characters from giants to aliens. Uh do you personally just have a blast and have a lot of fun doing that? 
Yeah, it's so much fun. Come I mean, on. yeah, I can These imagine. Characters are you, great. I mean, it's like <laughs> Halloween every day, and you get paid for it. You know, I mean, how much? How, what more can you ask for? I mean, the whole point of life is to have fun, isn't it? I mean, it yeah, it's, it's a it's a difficult process. You know, you got to get up early in the morning and spend hours in the in, in the makeup chair, and when you get on set, you're fighting things, and it's hard work. But at the end of the day, you know, when when you see that footage back, when the director says, come over here, have a look at this, it, it all goes away. Yeah. It really does. Because, you know, the only thing you really should be thinking about when you're in front of the camera is, is you know, delivering the character. Exactly. Delivering the character. Uh, when it's just you and you're at home and you want to watch something... What kind of movies are you drawn to personally? Uh, dramas, science fiction, horror. What do you personally enjoy watching? I like a I like a good drama. Okay. I like a human story. You know, I, I don't mind what genre it is. You know, if it fits into a genre, or just human life. You know, but a good story is is, is essential for me. Absolutely. And that's true for a lot of people, me, myself included. Uh, you know, it could be a horror, it could be a drama, it could be a romantic comedy, it doesn't matter. But if the characters really draw you into the story, that's what nails it and brings it home for everybody. Ian, I want to thank you so much for coming on here and sharing all these great stories. Uh, are there any upcoming projects that we should keep an eye out coming from you? Um, I have a small part, like I said, in the uh, Robert Eggers' new film, The Northman, starring uh, uh, Alexander Skarsgård. Ah. Uh, that is going to be epic. The trailer is out now. Um, I show up a little bit in um, a new TV show, which will be on Disney Plus sometime later on this year. Very nice. Very nice. Ian, thank you so much uh, for giving us your time. I know you're out in the UK. Love the posters behind you of Aliens versus Predator. Those are absolutely phenomenal. We could also see your basketball jersey as well. That's a great backdrop. Uh, again, uh, thank you to our audience who are tuning in live and those of you who will watch this later on. Thank you to our mystical, magical friend, Ian White, for being our guest today. Until next time, guys, on behalf of Ian and myself, stay safe and stay walking. Later.